Uh, The arrival of Jesus in the world is the arrival of a king, God's promised king. See that there in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1? This is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now Christ is not Jesus' surname, Christ is a title. Christ means Messiah, Christ means anointed king. This is the one that the whole world has been waiting for. Jesus is the promised offspring of Abraham through whom the whole world will be blessed. Jesus is the promised son of David who is God's forever king. Jesus is the one that we are waiting for to bring God's people into God's place under God's rule and blessing. Now while Jesus' arrival in the world doesn't seem very royal by human standards. We're probably quite familiar with the the Christmas narrative, the nativity narrative, and it doesn't have the kind of pomp and ceremony that we'd expect of royalty. But in the true story of God, the world and us, this is the arrival of God's King. And his arrival and birth are are far from ordinary. Uh, The pregnancy is a miraculous surprise to Mary that God has brought about. Angels announce Jesus' arrival. Visitors come, shepherds and magi. Jesus is born as God's King, the Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. He lives as the King and he dies as the King. Can you turn over with me, please, to Matthew chapter 26? We're going to come back to Matthew 1, but Matthew chapter 26. It's not as if if Jesus set out on the course of a king and then that plan got derailed in some kind of a way. But Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, as we reach the end of Jesus' life, as he's on, on trial before Pilate and the high priest and Pilate, verse 63 The high priest says to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus saying, yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the promised King. Yes, I am the one that God has appointed to rule over His kingdom, His creation, His universe forever. What we read at the start of our service in Colossians chapter 1, He is the image of the invisible God. Through Him all things hold together. He is the Christ. This is Jesus. As Jesus is on the cross, Matthew chapter 27, verse 37, they put a sign above Jesus. They, they write a plaque. It's done in a mocking kind of way, but it, is, it reveals who Jesus truly is. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Not just some obscure ethnic group tucked away in a corner of the world, but those that God had chosen through the man Abraham to be his blessed people and through whom the whole world would be blessed. Jesus is the King. Jesus is God's forever King. 
Now, the reason that God's king comes into the world is to deal with the greatest problem in the world, sin and shame. We've been talking about it over the last few weeks. It's been we're working our way through the Old Testament. Sin and shame is born in the Garden of Eden. When the man and the woman doubted God, when they rejected his rule over them, when they decided for themselves what would be good and what wouldn't be good. And every single one of us have followed in the footsteps of our first parents. And because of sin and shame, we are separated from God. I've shared this quote before from psychologist Brené Brown. Shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. Adam and Eve knew that in the garden. When they knew that they had sinned against God, they were afraid and they hid from one another and they hid from God. Sin breaks relationship with one another. Sin breaks relationship with God. Sin and shame exile us from God. We saw that in the, last, in the Old Testament uh, last week, in the, in the end of the Old Testament, where God's people are exiled from the land and exiled from his presence. We need a king who will bring us back to God. We need a king who will be God with us, who will be Emmanuel. But for God to be with us, sin and shame need to be dealt with. And so Jesus comes as a saviour. Jesus comes as a rescuer. You see Matthew chapter 1 verse 21? Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. The meaning of Jesus' name is rescuer, saviour. The angel here is speaking to Joseph and says she will give birth to a son... And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The way that Jesus deals with sin is by his death. By his death on the cross. This is hinted at in Genesis chapter 3. There was this expectation that Eve's offspring will be in combat with the serpent. Remember that? But Jesus makes it very clear when we get to Matthew chapter 26 verse 28. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, as Jesus is sharing in his last meal with his disciples before he is uh, to be arrested and before he is to go to the cross and crucified and die. As he's eating with his disciples and he's taking the bread and juice that they've eaten before and he's reinterpreting it to be about him, Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now next Sunday we're going to look at more closely at how it is that Jesus' death uh, deals with sin and shame. Uh, Tim Barron is going to be preaching and taking us through uh, the cross. But today what we want to see is that Jesus is the saviour who deals with sin and shame. Jesus' arrival in the world is a big big moment in the true story of God, the world and us. But here we have a picture 
that represents lots of pieces of the Bible so far. There's lots of individual little dots and tiles, kind of like the Old Testament. There's lots of bits and pieces that, that all uh, kind of come together. There's, there's lots of colours and shape. But you can see there's lots of hearts because the big theme through the Old Testament shows us of God's love. But where does it all lead? Uh, what brings it all together? Well, let me show you something. It's all pointing to Jesus. The arrival of the King and the Saviour is supposed to make us go, aha, as we bring all the bits and pieces and colours and shape of the Old Testament, it is all uh, pointing to Jesus, an arrival that's really worth celebrating. Now we're going to celebrate by sharing in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of Jesus' arrival in the world as King and Saviour. It's not just a celebration of a baby, but we celebrate what Jesus does for us. Jesus deals with our sin and shame. And the action of celebration in the Lord's Supper is not with balloons and party poppers, but the action of celebration is to repent. It's to do a U-turn. As Jesus arrives in the world as a man, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus says, stop going our own way and entrust ourselves to his rule, the rule of King Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a prayer now where we can, uh, where we can do just that, to turn around, to repent. Now, this prayer comes from Psalm 51. Will you please pray with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Holy, loving and gracious God, because of Jesus, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Because of Jesus, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Because of Jesus, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Let's continue in prayer from Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. We pray because of Jesus. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Amen. Well, what next? Usually, when we share in the Lord's Supper, we move on to our final song and have morning tea together and, and take off. 
or we move on to another part of our service. Today, we're going to think a little bit more about how this celebration affects our lives. The Christian life extends from here. The Christian life doesn't start, it doesn't stop at the Lord's Supper, it doesn't stop at the Gospel. And so we're going to talk about two ways in which this celebration infects us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. This is what it looks like to extend in the Christian life, extend this celebration of Jesus. It says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive. In our community, round about us, forgiveness is a value. We're we're taught to forgive. We're expected to uh, be forgiven. It's valued in our schools. It's valued in our communities, our workplaces. When people live with a value of forgiveness, it makes the world a nicer place. But there's a deeper reason for Christians to be people of forgiveness. Because it imitates God's forgiveness of us. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're to be so infected by the gospel of forgiveness that we're addicted to forgiveness. It's a a habit that we can't get away from. Even when our culture might think that forgiveness is unnecessary, we'll be people who go out of our way to forgive, to overlook offence, to not bear a grudge, to not hold something over and over and over. But we are freed by the gospel to be like God. Well, that's the first infection that we might have because of the gospel. The second gospel infection is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes... But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And what Paul is urging believers to excel at is giving. Our responses to the gospel is to repent, forgive and give to be so infected by the gospel that we're addicted to giving. Now in the context here, it's talking about giving generously so that we might live out God's agenda in the world. Like forgiveness, it's an imitation of, um, uh, of what Jesus has done for us. So a little bit further down in verse 9... It says that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. People who give like Jesus gave will give generously, will give sacrificially, will give joyfully. And the question for us is am I excelling? Am I excelling in giving? Is it infecting my whole life? The way that we treat our families, 
the way that we relate to our friends, the way we operate with our colleagues? Are we people that have an attitude of excelling at giving? Excelling at giving is what moves us to reach out to the poor. It's why we're people of compassion. It's why here as a congregation, together we're, we're, we're providing for 75 children to be released from poverty. It's why, as far as I know, 40 different members of our congregation are involved with 24 other organisations around Canberra, Australia and right across the world in reaching out in compassion to other people through other organisations. Giving like Jesus is our core motivation for serving at church on Sundays and what enables us to give financially to gospel work. So let's talk about money just for a moment as we conclude this morning. We've had a theme of celebration this morning and I want to keep celebrating by saying thank you for your generous support of God's work through New Life. Whether it be through compassion, whether it be supporting our missionaries who are overseas, supporting the ministry that we do out from here, thank you. Thank you for your generosity uh, in that. I thank God for the generosity that he has placed uh, in our hearts. And the reality for me is that it's out of that generosity that God has placed in your hearts that me and my family are provided for. Uh, So I do need to say thank you for that and most of all to say thank you uh, to God who does that. And now in the weeks ahead we're going to be making some important decisions for the future. Uh, Our elders and committee of management would uh, love to employ an assistant minister to keep extending our ministry here. It's a timely opportunity uh, to extend uh, what we're doing here and to enable us to keep reaching out to an expanding Gungahlin region. And so it's a good time for us to review this question, am I excelling? Am I excelling in giving to God through uh, 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 the whole of my life? Now we can only head down this path that we're heading on as new life because we're generously committed to the gospel. This is the personal challenge for me. Uh, Two years ago it was that we launched uh, our partnership with Compassion Child Sponsorship. I don't know how many children we were sponsoring uh, through members of our church at, 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 at that time, just a few, Uh, Two years ago, we launched that partnership and today we are sponsoring 75 children. Now, those of you who were here two years ago, I shared that I felt compelled and our family felt compelled that we should take on another compassion child. And we knew that that was going to be really, really tough. Uh, We didn't think we could do it. We didn't think we could fit it into our budget. But if we were going to answer the question, are we going to excel at it? We're going to give it a crack. And we did. And we have provided for another one of those children over the last two years. The personal challenge for me now is exactly the same. To ask the same question again, do I excel at giving? If I could extend then, can I extend uh, now? 
Am I excelling at giving? Paul gives us that question as he invites, as he urges, as he even commands us to excel in everything, including giving. Now what this looks like is not the same for all of us. Some of us will give in all kinds of different ways with the, with the gifts and the skills and the talents and the resources that God has given us. God has placed us all at different stages of life with all kinds of different uh, responsibilities. But what looks the same for all of us is that we all might look like Jesus, that we might give like he gives. Generous, sacrificial, joyful. Because of Jesus, we'll be so infected by the gospel that we'll be addicted to forgiving and addicted to giving. 